a sign out in the lobby that has a QR code that you can scan so you can easily sign up for it. But we are asking for people to sign up so we kind of know how many are gonna be attending. And there's also little cards there you can pass out to family, friends, neighbors. We'd love for you to invite um, them to come as well. Those are all of my announcements. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tom Nelson, and uh, it is great to be with our Shawnee campus this morning. Uh, I have not had the joy of meeting each one of you, but I would love to do that after the service, so please say hi. I see many faces I do know. Uh, it's great to be with you. My wife Liz and I have had the great privilege, and it has been a great privilege, of being part of Christ's community for over 30 years, actually 33. And I serve as one of the senior pastors here, and I'm a member of the teaching team that meets each week. I especially want to thank our Shawnee staff. Uh, Joseph, Katie, Carolyn, Olivia, I am so deeply grateful to you. Your sacrificial and devoted service to our Shawnee campus, as well as to our entire church family. So thank you. I'm so grateful for you. We also wish all the best for Pastor Tim and his family, and please bow in prayer as we begin this morning's message, okay? I'd like to take a prayer from the psalmist that I think is so important for all of us. Join me in that prayer. May the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, the name above every name, we pray, amen. Well, this summer, Liz and I drove to Minnesota, that's where I grew up, uh, for my side of the family reunion, the Nelson family reunion. Now, family reunions are always interesting experiences, aren't they? You have to try to get enough food for everyone that they can actually eat. Uh, and taking those large family pictures, you know what that's like with all kinds of generations, can be virtually impossible. Now, I have six siblings, and you can imagine what that's like with grandchildren and children trying to make this picture happen. I won't go into all the details, but our family, like many of your families, is filled with all kinds of personalities, all kinds of passions, all kinds of quirks. My family is a messy and motley bunch, but we are family. Now, my siblings actually refer to our family reunions as family rebellions, uh, and not because, you know, there is some deep, unsettled conflict over all the years or bad blood, so to speak. No, there's not. But rather, uh, because we know we all have our stuff, right? We all have our weaknesses. We all have our blind spots. We all have our brokenness. Over the years, we have learned to give each other tons of grace. And we have our own goofy kind of homespun humor. And one of the markers of our family reunions is we never try to take ourselves too seriously. Yet every time I attend the Nelson family reunion, I have to say each time 
in an increasing notch of appreciation, I have greater gratitude for my family. And as I get older, I find my mind and heart looking back at the lengthening common history, and I now increasingly savor it. Yes, I savor the really fun times, like the birth of new babies, or grandbabies now, graduations, weddings, and holiday celebrations, but I also increasingly savor the hard times. Hard times of loss, of disappointment, of family failure, and lots of grief. But holding us together with a no-matter-what commitment is not only our common genetics, not only our common biology, but our common faith. Now, I don't know about your family, or if you do family reunions, or rebellions as we call them, but I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that all families of every size and stripe go through some really great times, but they inevitably go through some very hard times. And sometimes the sunshine of happy circumstances is radiantly evident all around us when we gather, but sometimes there are dark clouds of disappointment. There's sadness, there's grief that threaten to rob our joy. Now, this is not only true about our families, but also any church family. Church families will, get, will, over time, given enough time, will go through some really hard times. It is not if, but when, given enough time. And I know that we here at the Shawnee campus are going through some very hard times right now. I get that. With so much change and pastoral transitions, no matter how long we have been part of this campus, we may be well experiencing disappointment, sadness, grief. This is hard, and this is okay. We also may be wondering anxiously, what's next for us? But in the midst of our longings and laments, we must keep in mind, in our hearts and minds, that we are family. We are family even in tough times. And what we need most in these hard times that we may be going through personally in our own lives or as a campus is not to know exactly what is ahead, but rather to experience new hope in our hearts today. And the question I want to ask all of us is, can we find new and life-giving hope even in the hard times? What's encouraging to us is the Bible gives us some really good news in a really unlikely place. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Lamentations. It's in the Old Testament. Lamentations, right after Jeremiah. So find Lamentations if you have your Bible open. Now the book of Lamentations, if you've read the Bible, or know something about the Old Testament, is not a place you would immediately go to. It's probably not a place you spend in your quiet time lately. It's not a place that we would often look to for hope. But in its context, we find this amazing golden gem of hope that is both timely and timeless. An inspired book written to God's covenant family who faced unimaginably hard times. Now let me just set the brief historical backdrop. Lamentation was written around the time frame we know almost exactly because of the fall of Jerusalem. Now, scholars debate whether it's 586 BC, the final end, or 587. And you can debate that a long time, but it's either 586 or 587. The super powerful superpower of the day, there were two, Egypt and Babylon. Babylon swoops down from Mesopotamia, from the north, 
and with its massive army encircles Jerusalem and puts it under siege. This is the context of this writing. Now, for God's covenant family, the destruction of Jerusalem and their glorious temple, the pride of their nation, and then exile to Babylon was the low of lows, the bottom of bottoms in the Old Testament history and redemptive history. Think of it this way, only on steroids. As a nation, it was kind of like the 9-11 terrorist moment for America, right? We remember where we are, it traumatized us 20 years ago in a terrorist attack on our nation. It stays with us, it adds trauma. And it's hard for us to grasp across the sands of time and culture fully what God's covenant family experienced. Unimaginable violence, incredible human slaughter, a massive sense of deprivation and suffering that this meant, yes, for God's family. Now, we know a lot about this because first century Jewish Roman historian Joseph ben Matthias, he's known through history better as Flavius Josephus or Josephus, wrote a good deal about this moment of the raising of Jerusalem by Babylon. They raised it to literally to rubble. And Josephus describes in his writing Antiquities of the Jews the horrific 18-month, can you imagine that, siege of Jerusalem and the prolonged and unimaginable suffering to God's covenant family. Now, in the 6th century B.C., the conquering military strategy for well-fortified cities was to bring your massive military machine and encircle the entire city with its walls so that no one could enter or leave it. Okay, that was the strategy. And then slowly, slowly, wear them down by literally starving them out. Now, there was reasons for this because this brought the fewest casualties to the attacking army. You don't want to have all your soldiers killed, right? And it psychologically worked to their advantage over time. And then at the opportune moment, the attacking army stormed the gates. And literally, Josephus tells us, those who they encountered were slaughtered, their eyes were gouged out, they were tortured, and those who remained were taken in chains as slaves on the long 600-mile death march to Babylon. That's what happened. And Josephus captures the orders given to Babylon's top military general. I want to read those to you to give you a picture of this. This is what Josephus says. The king of Babylon sent Nebuzardan, the general of the army, to Jerusalem. Now notice, to pillage the temple who also had in his command, this is from Nebuchadnezzar, to burn it and the royal city even with the ground and then to transplant the people to Babylon. Now in the midst of unimaginable suffering, can you imagine the trauma of the survivors both individually as families and as a nation? The writer Lamentations, maybe Jeremiah, there's still some debate on who wrote it, but he gives us raw words, very raw words of lament to the wrenching heartaches of God's covenant people. In Lamentations words, we are given in our text today three encouragements for hard times. Hard times in our individual lives and hard times as a campus. And I'm going to highlight those for us this morning from the biblical text. 
What we see first in the book of Lamentations is the encouragement that we are to grieve together. Let's grieve together about the hard moment of our time. Now, if you have your Bible open, you notice from the very opening verses of Lamentations, we encounter words of a grief-stricken people, unimaginably so. It is written to God's covenant family, keep that in mind, so that God's family would not turn away from each other, but vulnerably, humbly turn toward each other and transparently lament together. The writer is saying, God's family, let's grieve together. Now, you don't see this in your English, but in the Hebrew text, these chapters are all arranged for liturgy and memory. So the chapters begin, just like in the uh, English alphabet, we think of ABC, in the Hebrew alphabet, we get Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit. It goes right through it. And that's a memory device, and it tells us collectively this book was written, written for a people in a liturgy that collectively they grieve together, even though it is in primarily a singular uh, framework, most of the time the singular pronoun. So just keep that in mind. It is framed for memory. It's framed for uh, corporate liturgy. All these chapters, almost every one, I think the first four specifically, have the Hebrew alphabet guiding each verse. Okay, So keep that in mind. It's something we grieve together. That's the picture. So let's look at it briefly. Let's lament the things that are not what God designed them to be. That is an important part of our journey. Lament is. The writer begins his lament, notice, by looking to the raised city of Jerusalem and personifying it as a lonely widow, the most vulnerable picture imaginable. She is completely forsaken and she is enslaved. So look at chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to highlight just a few verses quickly. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends, not some, all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Now, if we scoot down to chapter 2, verse 11, and it just each chapter continues here, we feel the incredible weight of grief. It's physiological and psychological effects on our bodies as image bearers that are embodied in this moment in time. Notice the text. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns, my bile, or my inward idea, in, inward uh, organs and, and juices is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint, literally, and die in the streets. Wow. What a vivid and riveting picture of suffering and despair we are confronted with here. No holds barred. Incredible vulnerability and transparency of grief. See, our lives are like that too, aren't they? They can be very full of hurt and despair at times. And like God's covenant family of old, we cannot bypass or smooth over authentic sorrow and deep grief. And as we come to chapter 3, the writer now continues. Notice, as you're following along, he expresses his grief-stricken heart. But now, in the midst of the darkness, at bottom of bottoms, he begins to see the light of God's providential hands in the moment. Just a glimmer. He sees God's sovereign judgment, his working in very difficult circumstances, and in verses 4 through 6, if you're following along, chapter 3, we read these words. He, God, has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken or crushed my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulations. 
He has made me dwell in the darkness like the dead of long ago. A brutal picture of someone's emotional and psychological state. Things feel so dark, you get the picture, right? So overwhelming, so raw, that he gets to the bottom of bottoms, and it's in verses 17 through 18. He says, my soul is bereft of any peace. I have forgotten completely what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. And get this, my hope from the Lord as well. Wow. This is a text that's raw. It's the bottom of bottoms of the human experience, individually and collectively as God's people. It is a picture of very hard times. And maybe you are here this morning or joining us online, and these words written so long ago echo where your heart is and what you are feeling today. And I have to say there have been times in my life where that is exactly where I've been. And if you've walked with Jesus for a while, you know there are moments of dark valleys like this where any sliver of happiness seems to have vanished, never to return. And my sense is each of you can relate to this experience so powerfully captured by the writer of Lamentations. Life's disappointments, shattered dreams, work struggles, relational challenges, financial stresses, the loss of a loved one, betrayal of a trusted friend, evaporating our joy, smothering any happiness, eroding our hope, that all happens in life. And it's hard for all of us. Both individually and as a campus, we are experiencing transitions and change. We are. And as followers of Jesus, as God's covenant family, Lamentations tells us we can be real. We can express our raw honesty regarding our confusion or doubt or hurt or disappointment and our pain. In the same token, Lamentations reminds us we must not isolate from each other, but press more fully into community. And as a campus, we have had some difficult times, difficult things that have occurred, no doubt, as I've said. The biblical text calls us to grieve with each other and for each other. The scriptures encourage us to grieve together, to share our griefs, and to take our griefs to the Lord in prayer. And what Lamentations will remind us is to say, yes, it's a hard day, but it is also a hopeful day. And Lamentation prompts all of us in the midst of hard times to hope together again. And this is the second encouragement from our text. Lamentation writer says, let's grieve together. But notice, now the text says, let's hope together. Let's hope together. In a very low time, very low time, and it's unimaginable. I've never been through this nationally like, like they did, right? The people of God from the past teach us how to grieve. They do. And they teach us how to recover in the present. So in, against the backdrop of the darkest of nights, God's covenant people experience here, together in liturgy, in collective gathering, this sudden microburst of life-giving hope. Look with me at verses 21 through 23. But this I call to mind. Literally, the Hebrew is, this I call to my heart. It's all of my internal world. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. This is so important for us to grasp. And I want to unpack this text more fully. In these three compact verses are some of the most hopeful verses in all of canonical scripture from Genesis to Revelation. 
And I want to encourage each of you to put them to your memory and hide them in your heart for today and the days ahead. In the midst of hard times, in your own individual life, your own journey, and in any church community, there is one thing we can bank on, one thing. God's inspired holy word reminds us of his covenantal love, his tender mercy, and his faithfulness of God. Now let me unpack the text a bit. Notice with me, I hope you have your text open, that the writer points our hearts to this morning, to the first, in order, the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God. Now the word in the original Hebrew language captures God's unwavering commitment to the promises he has made based on his character to his covenant family. If you look at other translations, often this text is translated God's loyal love. The aspect of love is his unconditional loyalty to his people. And God's covenant family is facing hard times. We talked about that. But God's promises and his presence never change. The point is God will be there for them and with them always. He will never abandon them. He will never walk out in the room on them. Why? Because they are his family. Notice now the familial shift in the text. Notice Lamentations. The writer says next, his mercies never come to an end. Now, when we hear the English word mercy, we often think of someone withholding rightful judgment or penalty that we deserve based on our actions, right? Uh, in English, the idea of mercy is like when a police officer pulls you over. Now, I had this experience not too long ago. I didn't know my light was out. It was early in the morning, and I had, you know what that's like when you have big lights. I'm like driving to a meeting at 5.30 in the morning, and boom, there's lights everywhere. I'm like freaking out. What did I do? Well, I had one light burned out, you know, that kind of thing. And he was, the offer was really nice, but at the end he said, I'm not going to give you a ticket, sir, you know. I'm going to give you a warning, right? So if you've been in those, I mean, I, my light was burned out. I guess I was guilty, right? I didn't know that. But this idea of mercy is like a police officer, right, giving you a warning instead of a ticket they could legitimately give you. That's the idea. But in the Hebrew text, it's much more than that. And the original readers all knew this, so we have to translate it, okay? The original Hebrew word uh, that is translated by translators, and there's not a one-to-one -one parallel here or correspondence. The English word mercy here is different, but lamentations in the Hebrew captures the most tender and most unconditional love of a parent toward their child. The Hebrew word has a strong feminine meaning, and it is very closely tied to the womb. Very closely tied to the womb. The original readers of this text understood this right away, but we don't because we have a distance of time, culture, and language. The Lamentation writer is reminding God's people in hard times that God loves them like a nurturing and protective mom or dad. This is the unique kind of familial love, or we would say better translation, an affectionate, tender love that will never change, that will never be exhausted. In other words, God is saying, I'm loyal to you, but I will always be there for you because I am like your parent. You are family to me. I will always delight in you like a parent delights in a child. So here, God reminds them in the hardest times, God's loyal love and tender love is there for them. It is freshly available with God's unmistakable, guiding and comforting presence every morning they wake up and open their eyes to the uncertain and difficult day ahead. Love like that, y'all, keeps the anxious what-ifs of tomorrow at bay.
God's loyal and familial love for his covenant family are the driving force in the text, in order, of his never-ending faithfulness to his people. Even when we feel angry, even when we feel empty, even when we feel anxious, we are never hopeless because the very tender heart of God assures his truth beyond doubt. The Lamentation writer not only wants God's covenant family to look back at God's faithfulness over the generations, but he also wants them to remember God's promise centered in a person where all true hope comes from. That is the Messiah that would one day come and deliver his people, not only from enslavement to a nation, as brutal as that is, but enslavement to sin and eternal separation from God. For example, the Lamentation writer knew and looked back to the promise given to God's people by the prophet Isaiah 200 years earlier, no question, that one day a Messiah would come. The prophet Isaiah looked down the corridor of human and redemptive history and declared with great hopefulness Isaiah 9.6. Let me quote that for you. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, David, over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Now think with me, 700 years later, Isaiah's words were not only fulfilled, but made flesh with Messiah Jesus coming to this earth. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on a Roman cross as a payment for all our sin, yours and mine. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He ascended to heaven. He offers to you and me a brand new creation life by his grace. Jesus promised he would once again return to this broken world and will one day set all things right. One day, the one who keeps all our tears in a bottle, he will wipe away every tear, every disappointment, every heartache, and make all things new. God has a great future for us, both in the days ahead and ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. His loyal love and tenderest affections are new to us each morning. Great is his faithfulness. So let's grieve together, but let's hope together. And third, y'all, let's grow together. Let's grow together. God is able, because he is so awesome, he knows every thought of every heart, every action, every person's ever done, and we stand before him, all of us. He's able to take the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of our world. And God is so awesome and great, the God we love and serve, who knows everything, unlike us, that he can take and make something really good from it, even the hardest times, even the most brokenness of our lives. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this, right? Our great and sovereign God in Romans 8, all things work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. God even uses hard times. He even uses grief to form us spiritually and to woo all of us to deeper intimacy with himself. We must grasp that grief and sorrow, not welcome, but they are often God's sovereign path to increase spiritual formation. As a church family across our campuses, we are in a message series in the book of James. 
What timeliness for all of us. And James reminds us as he opens his, his book, right, that joy does not have to be extinguished in trials and struggles and difficulties when they come, not if, if. And, they, and actually, God can use the difficult times. Again, not because we want them, <laughs> but evidently somehow we need them in his sovereignty to transform our lives, to bring greater spiritual formation and integral wholeness to our lives and growth as a church campus and as a church family. Listen to the timely words of James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, right, my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, you go, amen. For you know that the testing of your faith, amen, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, literally where perfect is whole, integral and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is saying, dear friends, is God does some of his best work in your life and my life and in a community's life when things seem the hardest. God often does his best work in the hardest times, even though we don't want them, even though they're painful and heartache, even though it raises questions. It is often in hard times, in my own experience and serving this remarkable church family for 33 years, that God draws us into deeper intimacy with himself and deeper community with one another. Sometimes it's the hardest times that draw us together. In my own life, friends, my closest friendships, my most enduring friendships, my most precious friendships have been forged on the anvil of extremely hard circumstances. Even the hardest sorrows, your sorrows and my sorrows, whatever you're facing today can be carried if they are shared with others. We have been living in a challenging time the last 18 months more than any of us can imagine with the COVID-19 world. It's been hard for all of us. And none of us, none of us, me included, all of us included, have been our best selves often during these eight months, 18 months. But one thing I have repeatedly heard these past 18 months, y'all, that I think is really good wisdom in our culture, and transparently I look a lot for that, is the phrase, and I've seen it written all over, we are all in this together. We are all in this together. And friends, we are all together in this as a church family. I can't tell you this past week, the number of texts and emails I received from other members of our campuses and other members of our church family saying to each one of you, who's a part of our campus at Shawnee, we're here for Shawnee in any way we can be. We will roll up our sleeves. We will write a larger check. We are all in, and we're all in for you. It has been stunning to me and deeply encouraging to me. Since the inception of Christ's community, we have a mission statement that has guided us in both who we are becoming, our values, our core values, and what we are doing. What God has called us to be and do in the world has not changed for 33 years, and I trust will not change in the future. What is that mission, dear friends? That mission that guides us, our mission at Christ's community is to be a caring family, of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. We have never been about following any visionary leader. 
Jesus Christ, Lord of all, is our visionary. He has given us a vision of his kingdom, and this is his church. From the earliest day in a small apartment in Lenexa, when on a good day there were two of us who were members of Christ's community, my, my wife and I, our church family has grown across our city with five campuses in Leewood, Olathe, Brookside, downtown, and now here in Shawnee. We are not five separate churches. We are one church presently in five locations. The goodness and wisdom of our multi-site design with this incredible synergy and collaboration has allowed us to accelerate our multiplication mission as we share humbly, cooperatively our resources and work closely together for the advancement of Jesus already not yet fully kingdom. Not only here in Kansas City, but across the nation and across the globe. God is doing a great work for his glory, his purposes, and his power through Christ's community. And each of us here this morning has the privilege and joy to be part of the bride of Christ, which God loves more than anything else, and to be invited into his life-giving community and embrace his redemptive mission in the world. I believe God has a great future for Christ's community as a whole, and I believe that's true for our Shawnee campus. Because of God's faithfulness, y'all, and the combined resources of time, of talent, of treasure, and prayer of each one of you and each one who's a part of our much larger church family, our other campuses, we have a great facility here in a great location in a really important mission in this community. We have other staff from other campuses that are eager to pitch in and help our shiny campus move forward in the days and months and years ahead. Pastor Nathan is going to be giving leadership for the next few months until we have a new campus pastor. Now let me say to you, Pastor Nathan has impeccable integrity. He is one of the most outstanding pastors I've ever known and worked with, and I've worked with lots around the nation. We are really blessed to have him. And I believe God is going to bless this campus both in depth and breadth, in amazing ways in the days ahead. So whether you are brand new here or you've been around a while, I'm asking you with humility and grace to commit to pray, to pray. Commit to serve as God leads you and support this great campus. The writer of Lamentation ends his lament, and I encourage you to read through the whole book this week. It might be good for our souls with a heartfelt prayer to God. It ends in prayer, as it, we should end. A prayer for God to draw near to his people. Lord, be near to us. Be near to us in hard times. And bring out of that renewal and restoration to this community of faith. In chapter 5, verse 21, we read this prayer. May this be a prayer for us. Lord, bring us back to yourself. So we may return, renew our days as in former days. So brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus, fellow apprentices of Jesus, will you join me and our much larger church family across this city in praying for God to deepen our intimacy with Jesus and with each other. Let us pray, let us pray that God would do a new work in all our lives through this time of trial and testing in our Shawnee campus. 
Let us pray that God would bring renewal and a new season of greater joy and fruitfulness. And let's remember, remember, Lamentations tells us the inspired, inerrant, holy word of God. It is God's word that tells us that God does some of his best work when things seem the darkest and the hardest. Why? Because great is his faithfulness. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, it's a hard day for many of us. And we just confess that to you. We cry out to you. But it's also a hopeful day. And as apprentices of Jesus, we draw near to you and to one another as your new covenant family. We anchor our lives in new ways to your hopeful promise. Your promise that you declare to us as sinful, broken creatures. This we call to our heart. Therefore, we have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are brand new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?
his best work in the hardest times. The only thing that can make that statement true is the death and resurrection of Jesus. My mind is, we were talking about the idea of new mornings, went to John 20. When Mary Magdalene shows up on Easter Sunday, early in the morning, and it says it's still dark, which in the Gospel of John means it's full of confusion, not understanding, not seeing how anything could be beyond what she has seen, which is the death of Jesus. But she didn't know that on that dark morning that the great new mercy had already taken place, which is that Jesus had rose from the dead. And so we come to this meal to enter into that story, that somehow in the dark mornings, his mercies are new. So let us confess then that story together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you are able to confess these words, then this meal, this table is open for you. If you are new at Christ Community, the way we do it here is we gather in groups of five or six around this front table here or in the corner. Uh, if you're not ready to consume the meal that way, we do have packets in the back. Uh, so when you are ready, come forward and receive the body and blood of Jesus.
my soul shall rise. Jesus died, my soul to save, shall rend the vaulted sky. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
Amen. Church, it is so good to remind each other and ourselves of these things in good times and in bad. I'm so grateful that you're here and that you've chosen to worship with us. I'm Nathan, if I haven't met you yet. And uh, I know many of you were here this past Thursday, and we talked through some of these things, past and future. If you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Also, uh, you heard there from Pastor Joseph, and hopefully you received, if you weren't there, you received an email from me on Friday. Um, trying not to have any more surprise Sundays here. Um, but Joseph uh, has chosen, again, you probably know this, right, to, to end his residency just a few months early. Uh, he's going to be departing a few months earlier than anticipated. Um, and I think uh, most of us got a lot of tears out on Thursday. I'm going to try my best not to cry anymore. Um, but you all know Joseph is one of the finest pastors I've ever, I've ever encountered. Um, and we are going to miss him. We and Libby, uh, you're amazing as well. We're so grateful for uh, the year and a half plus uh, of service uh, to this community. It's been, a, it's, been a, it's been a brutal few months, but you have served beautifully, um, and we are really, really grateful uh, for that. Make sure you get a chance to, to say that to them, to, to love them. Um, they are uh, headed out uh, to California uh, in, in a little bit. He's got, he'll be in the office this week, so certainly you can feel free to email him. Uh, we're also going to gather back here tomorrow night. This is the one thing Joseph said not to do, um, but we're going to do that uh, tomorrow. Six o'clock if you want to come, six to seven thirty, bring a dessert to share and just uh, have, a, have a little bit time left. Look at that, send-off party. There you go. Just what you wanted. Um, <laughs> You don't always get what you want. That's the thing. So anyway, we just want to love on them. We're so grateful again for their incredible uh, service. And I can just say even personally, I'm going to miss you a ton. Yeah, I love you, buddy. He had one final request, uh, and uh, we said we, he could do whatever he wanted. So um, thankfully, it's just the bit addiction. So we're good. I've already had shared my words, but again, I'm grateful to have known you guys and have loved you, but also to have been loved in return. So thank you. If you want to raise your hand to receive this benediction, one that I've said many times, but more importantly has been said for thousands of years for the people of God. Hear this word. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.
Welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Nate Nall. If you would, stand and join us as we sing together. And uh, to prepare our hearts for worship, let's hear this word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's worship our God. Me to 
We come to our time in the service where we just pause, uh, having encountered the presence of God and being welcomed into his presence, we acknowledge that we come in bringing sin. Um, and so we will confess together these words on the card and then take a few moments privately to confess. This one's a bit wordier, but we'll still, we'll do it together. Uh, so let us confess. I, a poor sinner, confess before you, my God and creator, that I have sinned gravely and in various ways against you, not only with outward gross sins, but much more with internal innate blindness, unbelief, doubts, faint-heartedness, impatience, pride, evil greed, secret envy, hatred and jealousy, as well as other evil emotions. You, my Lord and God, recognize this in me very well, but sadly, I cannot recognize them sufficiently. I feel sorrow and regret for them and wholeheartedly desire grace through your dear son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Take a few moments to confess privately.
Hear now this word of assurance from Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen.
for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can see. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoice. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I Sure, sure, the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my part, and he was raised to Till my lips shall repeat. 
Would you please pray with me? God, thank you for your grace and your goodness. That not of good that we have done, but nothing but the blood of Jesus, Lord, are we saved. Thank you for salvation through the cross. And thank you that we can be the church gathered here today. Thank you for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we can speak together and sing together to remind us of the goodness of God, to remind us of the truths of your word. And thank you, Lord for this time now. We pray, God, that you would open our hearts to receive what it is you have to say to us through your word, God. And thank you for your son, Jesus. In your name, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name is Katie Holland. I serve as the director of children's ministries here. It is a true joy to be with each of you this morning. If you're new here, we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. And we just hope that you feel um, welcomed and loved in this space. If, we, uh, if you want, you can fill out the hello card in that chair back in front of you, or you can come introduce yourself to anyone in a blue lanyard after the service. We love the chance to get to know you a little bit more and for you to get to know us a little bit more. If you do fill out that card, you can just place it in the basket by the hello wall or hand that to anyone with the blue, blue lanyard as well. If you came prepared to worship through giving, you can place that in the offering box on your way out, or you can give online on the church website or through your mobile device at any time. If you have any prayer uh, requests or needs going on right now, I think we all feel the need to be praying um, in this season. But our staff meets weekly, and we would love to pray for you and the things that are going on in your life as well, um, big or small so you can fill out that prayer card, you can place that in the offering box, or you can also hand that to one of us on staff. Um, we would just love the chance to pray for you this week. I have two quick announcements. The first is this Thursday is the evening with Dr. Kurt Thompson. Now, the in-person has reached its capacity, but if you would still like to, to watch that, you can do that online, and you'll just need to go to the church website on Thursday at 6.30 so you can um, participate online from there. And then the second announcement today is something I'm really excited about and really something I feel like our church needs right now is just time together. And so we're going to have a fall festival here on October 29th from 6 to 7.30. This is kind of in place of Trunk or Treat, which we did last year. But there'll be chili, cookie decorating, uh, games, a craft, and a photo booth. Um, and kids are welcome to still come in their costumes. So we'd love to see you here. You do need to register. There's a poster out in the lobby that has a QR code. It makes it super easy to do that. 
Uh, if you're interested in helping that night, just talk to me. Uh, we would love to have um, those who are interested in helping to be there to help uh, put this on for our families. Um, so yeah, please register. Uh, there's cards you can pass out to friends or neighbors. Um, so please invite others to come as well. So that is it for my announcements. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the warm wood and the gall. My soul, soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the Chani campus of Christ Community. I'm Tom Nelson and uh, I'm delighted to be with you this morning. My bride Liz is with me as well. And uh, we both uh, greet you today in the love of Christ. Uh, my wife Liz and I have had the great privilege some of you might know this, of being part of Christ's community for now, my goodness, over 30 years, I guess 33. And uh, I serve as one of the senior pastors on the senior pastor team, and I also have the great joy of being part of the teaching team, which I love. And I especially want to thank our Shawnee staff, um, Joseph and Katie and Carolyn and Olivia, for your devoted and sacrificial service both to our shiny campus, but also our larger church family. So I'm very, very deeply grateful for you. We also all wish the best for Pastor Tim and his family. And now, if you'd please bow in prayer as I uh, open God's word this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, our prayer is the prayer of the psalmist of old for each one of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, the name above every name. Amen. Well, this summer, Liz and I uh, drove to Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota guy. And uh, we were going to uh, the family, or Nelson family side of our reunion, family reunion. Now, family reunions are interesting experiences, aren't they? You know, you try to get enough food, and then enough food that everybody can eat, which is always a challenge, right? That will eat or can eat. And then there's the moment in any family reunion of taking the large family pictures. Uh, not only with siblings, but kids and grandkids, it's just a riot, right? It's virtually impossible, actually, when you think about it. I have six siblings. I'm six of seven kiddos. So can you imagine family reunions for the Nelsons? Uh, it's filled with all kinds of personalities, right? All kinds of diverse passions, all kinds of questions.